You're listening to the Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Barita. I'm a 16-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law and leadership topics, company leaders like CEOs, managers, and HR professionals would often ask me where can they find a little more information on this and a little more information on that. Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people only have 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to company leaders. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Legal Skinny podcast. So this is part three in my never-ending saga about should employers mandate vaccines. Part one and part two were episodes number 29 and number 33. And of course, in all these episodes, I'm talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, when I released episodes number 29 and number 33, that was back in January 2021. And so much has happened since then. Back then, we were talking about the no supply and demand issue of the vaccine. You know, I don't know if you remember, but people were wrapped around Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles for hours, desperately trying to get the vaccine. I mean, at that time, many Americans were not even fitting the eligible list for age or whatever other criteria there was in their state to even get the vaccine. Back then, United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby, you know, wanted to make vaccines mandatory for his airline, but he was you know, looking around and there weren't a lot of other employers doing it. And he was hoping that the other airlines would get on the bandwagon with him. There was a lot of questions that employers were having about incentivizing employees to get the vaccine. Since then, some employers have moved to mandate the vaccine, but with many choosing not to until recently. And those that went forward with the mandate um, previously included Mr. Scott Kirby, I just mentioned, of United Airlines, Tyson Foods, and of course, Methodist Hospital making a splash into national news as one of the first huge hospital systems to require a COVID-19 vaccine mandate of its employees. Really, a big shift occurred here in August 2021, when the FDA granted full approval to the Pfizer vaccine which was what a lot of people and companies were waiting for because there was some questions around the legal aspects of mandating a vaccine that was only under a temporary emergency standard as the Pfizer and other vaccines had been this whole time. Now, we're seeing more employers um, step forward and say that they'll be mandating the vaccine for their employees, including Amtrak requiring its 17,500 workers to be vaccinated by November 1st. Citigroup is having their employees under a hybrid schedule of working at their offices two days a week, and vaccination is required to come into those offices. 
CVS is requiring it for at least part of their employees that are patient-facing or corporate employees. Goldman Sachs and Google requiring those coming into their offices to be vaccinated. Lyft, McDonald's, Microsoft, Morgan Stanley, NBC Universal, all with a full or partial mandate of vaccines to enter their offices. And the list goes on and on, including Netflix. The streaming service will be requiring vaccinations for casts of all United States productions, as well as the individuals who work with them on set. But these are huge corporations I'm talking about. These are big companies. What about all the other private employers? Where do they stand? Frankly, a lot of employers had made their minds up at this point and were holding ground to just continue to educate about the vaccine or incentivize and to not mandate the vaccine. I think employers have just been, you know, trying to stay out of the fray, frankly. I mean, we knew even back in last January when the vaccine really was, you know, uh, starting to be distributed in a mass way that there was going to be a huge segment of the population that may not want this vaccine for whatever reason, beyond the religious and medical or disability reasons. In these last few months, there has been a clear divide across America from state governments on both sides of the government's involvement in vaccines and masks, either passing laws mandating masks or passing laws not allowing mandates of masks or passing laws not allowing vaccine mandates or rather laws that mandate vaccines. And then this past Thursday happened. The President of the United States, Joe Biden, announced that he will be using the powers of OSHA and the Department of Labor to mandate vaccines or require weekly testing for all private employers with 100 or more employees, with penalties of $14,000 possible per violation. Yep. No matter where you fall, politically or emotionally, in this tug of war about the vaccine. This announcement, it's a big damn deal. I mean, the White House expects this to affect at least 80 million private sector workers. Plus, they know this is going to be challenged legally. I mean, some states have openly been against vaccine mandates and have passed laws already. You see, one of the things I've always loved about America is that there is state power and there is federal power. And how they interact, well, it's um, just fascinating to me. Maybe it's the geeky law stuff, okay? <laughs> and not to geek out too much on this, uh, but the basics are there's space the federal government occupies, and then there's space the state government occupies. And it's a bit of a delicate balance between the two. You know, Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the U.S. Constitution is commonly referred to, of course, as the Supremacy Clause. And establishes, establishes the federal constitution and federal law generally take precedence over state laws and even some state constitutions. Generally, powers not granted to the federal government are reserved to the states and their people. So why does this matter? Because of course, when President Biden made his announcement, there was 
a collective meltdown <laughs> across part of America that does not believe this is a legal act by an American president. And admittedly, it didn't help that this question had been asked of President Biden and his administration, and, and there had been comments by them that they would not be mandating a vaccine. And you may ask, well, why now, President Biden? All this time with the vaccine and no mandate, so why now? And he said his patience for those who choose to remain unvaccinated was wearing thin. So there you have it. Of course, I, I decided to look to Twitter to further research, uh, you know, the Twitter world, uh, which I find to be a good source for just pissed off Americans or happy Americans to go to express their uh, outrage or happiness. And um, of course, the topic had already been taken on and had a life of its own by the time I had already logged on to Twitter with the hashtag, I will not comply trending. Shortly after the announcement from the president, the Georgia governor tweeted that he will pursue every legal option available to the state of Georgia to stop this blatantly unlawful overreach by the Biden administration. And the governor of South Carolina vowing to fight Biden to the gates of hell after hearing the news. Um, Daily Wire co-author Ben Shapiro and CEO Jeremy Boring announced on their podcast, um, not, not very long after this announcement from President Biden, um, that they had already spoken to their lawyers and they planned to not comply with forcing the mandate on their employees or doing the testing. And they were prepared to fight the fines in court. So, you know, then, of course, we have the counter where many came in, you know, forward in support of the president, vowing to help companies get in compliance, whatever that is, because, of course, we don't have all the information from OSHA yet. But, you know, Biden, President Biden, he, he knew the challenges, I think, of issuing a direct vaccine mandate across the United States. OK, that's um, and, and that's not what happened here. You know, what happened here really is, is, is his administration using the power of OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, which is empowered by the federal government with, with very broad powers, as they are related to having employers create a safe workplace. You know, when you think of OSHA, you know, the, you, you may think of things like rules around warehouses or forklifts or employees wearing hard hats or all those other kinds of like safety laws. Well, now the Department of Labor through OSHA will be the vaccine mandate enforcers. I don't know, I guess, simply put, a lot of people would find this to be a bit of a workaround in trying to push those vaccine numbers in America up. So what does that mean for all the businesses out there? Well, so here's a little known secret. Uh, that I think is going on in the corporate world. Many of them wanted President Biden to do this because companies have been struggling with a very real problem with the workforce shortage. And this whole idea of mandating vaccines or mandating testing, well, it hasn't been something that all the workers in the workforce embrace. So companies have been hesitant to do so. Remember how I mentioned they're trying to stay out of the fray? As I explained earlier in this podcast, I think, um, you know, 
there is that concern. And, and it's because, you know, in part a fear of losing their workforce, because again, this is a very real problem we have going on in America right now, the workforce shortage. So many of the companies are torn between, they actually want to avoid COVID-19 in the workplace um, and, and in their workforce for many reasons, but definitely want to stop the spread of it um, because it's unproductive. <laughs> All this quarantining and sending people home and people being sick, it's, it's, and it's not good for your employees and the health of them. And so um, companies want to focus on getting back to business and being productive. And, you know, I think in large part, they hope the vaccine will help them do that, you know, because getting back to work and out of this pandemic is a major goal of most of these companies right now. In fact, at least in my experience, even though I've been getting a lot of questions you know, from employers about mandates. And some of them even saying they want to get it, right? They want to do this mandate, but, you know, they were concerned about the legal missteps or upsetting their company culture or driving workers to leave them for competitors not requiring such mandates, which many companies can't, can't afford right now because of the issues with the workforce shortage. So, I'm not saying that everybody wants this because I know a lot of company owners or leaders who simply do not believe vaccines are something employers or the government should mandate, regardless of whether they agree to their effectiveness. But this is why this is such a big deal. Whatever you believe about all of this, you can see how there are so many different arguments and how in a diverse workforce, you will have those differing opinions as well. So many, I think, are thankful President Biden took this choice from them, so they don't have to be the bad guy. To those employees, um, you know, that would find this quite unpopular. Now, let's take Methodist Hospital um, and their lawsuit as an example in kind of what an employer may have gone through if they, you know, pre this President Biden mandate. Um, of course, this all happened back from April through June. There, um, there was a policy put forth with Methodist Hospital and the hospital system um, to mandate the vaccine and with its employees. One of the first, of course, like I said, health system to impose such a vaccine. And there was a lot of pushback and criticism. And, um, you know, what ended up actually happening with their workforce is 24,947 workers did get vaccinated by the deadlines. Um, set forth by Methodist Hospital. But 170 did not, and, and they were suspended and given two weeks to prove that they had gotten the vaccine. And, and then 25 of those um, did go ahead and get the vaccine. But then Methodist, of course, got sued. In a lawsuit by nurse Jennifer Bridges and 116 other workers, they all sued Methodists to stop the vaccine requirement and the termination of employment. In this suit, Ms. Bridges claimed that it was not lawful for Methodists to do this because the Food and Drug Administration had only approved the vaccines for emergency use. Remember how I was saying there are some legal arguments and uh, questions uh, out there about whether that was a valid argument. Now, now this happened back, I said, April to June 2021 timeframe. So the FDA issue really... Um, has kind of been, you know, uh, resolved and gone away in large part, but she mainly argued that it would be in, in the most of her, the rest of her case about 
the wrongful termination, to fire her for refusing to follow the policy and get the vaccine. And her reasoning behind that was that the vaccines are experimental and dangerous. And Judge Hughes here in Houston in federal court <clears throat> looked at that issue and, and flat out said, in her opinion, um, this claim is false and irrelevant to the legal analysis. Miss um, Bridges then argued in her petition that she refused to be a human guinea pig, which Judge Hughes didn't appear to find this argument helpful to her case as well, uh, if you read the five-page opinion. Um, Ms. Bridges also argued that an injection requirement violates public policy. And this is where most of the opinion um, kind of has this analysis about vaccine mandates and public policy. And, and to that, the judge said, Texas doesn't recognize this as an exception to at-will employment. But even if it did, this injection requirement of Methodist Hospital is consistent with public policy. The judge then spends some time explaining that reasoning in her opinion, and she cites to the case that you'll hear cited about this issue over and over again, if you haven't already. It's Jacobson versus Massachusetts. The United States Supreme Court in um, 1905, <laughs> you heard me, 1905, uh, decided this case. Um, yes, people, uh, because the most recent precedent in the highest court of this land looked at this issue only a um, hundred years ago. Now, what was going on in 1905? Well, the president was Theodore Roosevelt. The Wright brothers at the time had only just flown their third airplane for 39 minutes, which was the first plane to fly over 30 minutes. The Supreme Court justice at that time was Melville Fuller, who was, get this, born in 1833. And while many of his views and legal opinions, they're different from current law today, to say the least. I mean, come on, people. May 1905? That's when Las Vegas was founded. <laughs> this was a freaking long time ago. So does it give me great confidence that the main legal precedent that everyone is citing to is so old? I mean, in all this time, it hasn't been overturned or the courts wouldn't be citing to it, of course. But it also means that there's probably room to argue distinguishing factors may exist. Now, in the Jacobson case, the state's compulsory vaccination law was held not to violate the 14th Amendment. Um, but Judge Hughes in the Methodist case also cited another case. Um, it's, let's see if I can do the French on this. Um, Campagna Francois de Navigation of Oper versus Board of Health of State of Louisiana. Uh, that is my high school French, guys. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's another U.S. Supreme Court case, but this one was from 1902, so it's even older than the Jacobson case. And she cites it for Louisiana law requiring involuntary quarantine during a yellow fever outbreak during, uh, was, was considered a reasonable exercise of state police power. But notice in both of these cases, we're talking about state power. But in the Methodist case, Texas did not tell Methodists to create their vaccination policy. So how is Judge Hughes making this argument that Methodist policy is consistent with public policy? 
So she relies generally on these two cases to state that the United States Supreme Court's public policy is that involuntary quarantine for contagious disease and state-imposed requirements of mandatory vaccination do not violate due process. And that precedent also combined with the EEOC's recent May 28th, 2021 allowance for employers to require employees be vaccinated subject to reasonable accommodation for employees with disabilities or sincerely held religious beliefs, um, showing that, although not controlling, she said, showing that would likely be what happens if you are in front of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. All of this sort of supports this basis of this public policy argument. So there's a number of other arguments the judge dismissed, but just in summary here, it's necessary to clarify, um, she said, that Bridges has uh, not been coerced. Um, the judge said Ms. Bridges says that she's being forced to be injected with a vaccine or be fired. And the judge says this is not coercion. Methodist is trying to do their business of saving lives without giving them the COVID-19 virus. It's a choice made to keep staff, patients, and their families safer. In regards to Ms. Bridges, Judge Hughes states, Bridges can freely choose to accept or refuse a COVID-19 vaccine. However, if she refuses, she will simply need to work somewhere else. And the judge said Texas law only protected employees from being fired for refusing to commit an illegal act and that the requirement is consistent with public policy. Which, of course, Methodist was very happy. Um, you know, they had made claims that this was, you know, frivolous, this lawsuit. And, you know, the statement from their CEO, Mark Bloom, is that employees and physicians made their decisions for our patients who are always at the center of everything we do. So after the federal judge upheld the policy, the 153 workers who refused to comply with the policy were either terminated or re resigned. So I think the analysis in the Methodist case is interesting and the public policy argument in particular. When President Biden and his administration chose to use OSHA as the vehicle for this vaccine mandate, they chose to really take the stand that OSHA has a public health role, I think which many agree, would agree, um, but that COVID-19 is a workplace concern. Since this, uh, this will be an emergency temporary standard, then it will be necessary for them to show that new hazards pose a grave danger to workers. And well, remember our 1905 Jacobson versus Massachusetts case I just went through? Yeah, um, the Department of Labor was not even founded until March 4th, 1913, almost eight years after the United States Supreme Court decided the Jacobson case. And more importantly, the Occupational Safety and Health Act was not signed into law until December 9th, 29th, 1970 by President Richard M. Nixon. So obviously the powers of the DOL and the use of OSHA were never part of the Jacobson Court's analysis. So there will likely be legal challenges surrounding all of this. And I think it's gonna be a lot about how much power did the federal government grant under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. And is what President Biden is trying to do with OSHA, is this too far? But back to the name of this podcast, Should Employers Mandate Vaccines? Well, after all of this time and discussions uh, prior to this, 
it looks like if it's up to the president and you have 100 or more employees, that isn't a question for employers anymore. Your federal government has decided you have to, or your employees have to do weekly COVID-19 tests because that's gonna be fun for everyone to go through on a weekly basis. Uh, okay, um, I mean, I have a list of questions for President Biden. Uh, I know he probably doesn't listen to my podcast, but uh, just in case, um, there's some things I'd like to know or, or have some clarification on here. First of all, if the employer goes the testing route, are the employees supposed to stay home while waiting for the test? I mean, so are they just on unpaid leave then? And, and what if the test takes a couple days, especially if all these people choose to start engaging in these tests, you know, more testing. So, so what, then the employee comes back to work after a couple of days and then you repeat it all over again next week. I mean, how is this all going to work? And I also want to understand how employers are supposed to report this vaccine info to OSHA or the Department of Labor. I mean, what proof are they requiring? Oh, and if employers go the vaccine route, and they're supposed to pay for pay time off to the employees to take the vaccine and recover. Well, what proof can employers ask for to see if the employee is really recovering from the vaccine? Or are they just supposed to trust that? And, and when did OSHA get in the business of PTO, pay time off? Anyway, more questions than answers for now. And with all the rage and lawsuits that will come from this, I have two simple thoughts that I will leave you with. Number one, will we finally see the United States Supreme Court get a case on vaccine mandates that is, I don't know, not old as hell? And number two, would President Biden have been more successful if he had just legalized marijuana at the federal level and offered pot for shots? <laughs> I mean, I know you guys think that may be crazy, but ask yourself this. What would the Twitter hashtag have been then? I'm guessing probably not the hashtag I will not comply that President Biden got this past Thursday. Who knows? I guess we'll never know, at least not on the latter. And I'll leave you with that. And that's Legal Skinny on Should Employers Mandate Vaccines? Part three. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. I would love for you to go to www.legalskinny.com forward slash review to learn the super simple way to leave me a review to tell me which topics and guests you like. I value your thoughts and your review helps me support more company leaders just like you to grow as a leader themselves and to grow successful teams. I also drop the link in the show notes if that's easier for you. And while you're there, check out all the other resources I have for you as a company leader. And don't forget, our disclaimer to remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.